<laughs> that movie clip you just saw is from the blockbuster movie released three years ago called Avengers Endgame. It's an epic movie. It's the ultimate showdown between universal good and universal evil. For those of you who are not Marvel superhero fans, let me catch you up. There's 19 or 20 movies before that one if you want to learn everything about the Avengers. But let me give you kind of a, just a summary. Um, I didn't know that much about them until about two years ago, and my wife and I watched all 19 movies <laughs> together. Now we're on board. We get it. But when you watch the movies, the Avengers, um, they are all good guys, superheroes, supernatural powers, and you see Captain America in this big final battle as he unites with the other superheroes. And if you go watch all other 19 or 20 movies, you'll see that all those superheroes are from very diverse backgrounds. They have very different supernatural powers, and they have all these differences, but they always come together and unite when they fight evil, amen? And so that's kind of a neat story as we talk about this today. And so we have this question I get sometimes, is it appropriate to show a pop culture movie like that in church? And so I think that's a great question. So let me share why we share that and why that movie. There was the very first weekend that Endgame was released, 100 million people watched it. That may not seem like a big number to you, but that was across the whole globe. 100 million people first weekend. Today it's earned over $2.8 billion. Why so big? Because I believe everybody loves a superhero and everybody wants to see evil finally defeated. But we show that for a reason. If that's what the world is watching around us, we like to build a bridge between fantasy and reality. And sometimes our world knows this. So, so everybody, if that many people know this movie, it's a great way to talk about the bridge between fantasy and reality. For you see, the Bible has an epic story about the end game that's reality. It's found in the book of Revelation. And there's one Avenger, not a bunch of them, there's one Avenger in this book, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus shouts, if I can tell you, he shouts, assemble, for his church. He shouts this every day, assemble to the church to join him in this epic battle against evil to join his mission. So what a great start. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're all here. Thanks for being with us today. We have a great turnout. You never know on football weekends how things kind of shake out, but it's good to see all of you today. It's good to see those of you who are online. Thanks for joining us. For your guests, we a lot of new faces again today. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. And uh, as we go along, we, we jump into this story, this epic battle story as we wrap up our series today. Uh, there is a summary on the back of our guests on the back of your worship guide. There's a summary of the key points of today as we go through the Bible together. Uh, so feel free. And I want to reiterate, too, this Connect card, if you could drop it off for our guests. We just love to connect with you. If you're looking for a church home, we want to help you on that journey. So, so connect with us. Otherwise, everybody else, give us every prayer request, everything else you need on here, and we would love to follow up on that, too. Let's see. I want you to open your Bibles with me, either your paper version or your digital version, and I want you to go to Mark chapter 1. Those who are online, all these sermon notes are there on our website, and they're also on our Facebook Live page, so you can connect to those too. This is the last week of our Mission Possible sermon series. Can you say aw with me? Uh, we always hate to see good things come to a close, but this is going to be a dramatic, epic finish, I think. So, but if you missed any of these, because we've still got summer travel and stuff, let me summarize in the four weeks where we've been. 
Week one, we talked about we're on a mission from God. We talked about what is this word mission? Mission is the movement of God's love to his humanity, and the church is called into mission. We're his primary agent for that mission. That was week one. Week two, we talked about your mission should you accept it. Well, what is the church's mission? And what, what we really boiled down to is tr- mission is the church's primary identity. Now, this kind of shakes our foundation a little bit. Mission is our primary identity. What that means as a church is everything that we do in worship, everything that we do in study, everything that we do when we come together is for this purpose of declaring God to all the world and bringing others into the family of God. That is our primary identity. And we shaped and walked through the whole Bible and showed that. And then last week, we, we talked about, in week three, storm the gates. And we went to that story in Caesarea Philippi that showed us where Jesus says, where is our mission? And our mission is out there. It's in the darkness, and that's where we're building the church. We're building the church actually out in the darkness. And then Jesus is beckoning us to join him in that. If you missed any of those, and they sound really exciting, they're on our YouTube channel, they're on our website. You can catch up any of those uh, and watch and see where we're kind of at today. So we've talked about what is mission. We've talked about what is mission to us as a church. We've talked about where is that mission. And that leaves us this week. What does mission accomplished look like? How do we know we're on mission and mission is accomplished? And so that's what we're going to be delving into today. So as I started writing this, I thought about, man, do you ever just sit and wonder what things will be like after the biblical end game? Do you ever sit around and wonder well, what really what does the kingdom of heaven look like? What does the kingdom of God, those two terms are, are synonymous. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, what are they, do you ever sit around and just say, I wonder what that's going to be like? Would it surprise you if I told you the kingdom of heaven is already here? part way the kingdom of heaven is already here part way like you do not have to look all the way to the future to know what it's like so here's our first sermon note together well no 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 no. mark one let's go to the gospel first the gospel of mark chapter one starting in verse 14 it says jesus went into galilee where he preached god's good news the time promised by god has come at last jesus announced The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Wherever Jesus went, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and he astonishingly said, it's near. What he's saying is it's here, partway, right now. He's brought the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, here, partway, right now, but it's not fully here. We know that when he comes back. And so Jesus says it's here. It's very near, so turn away from your sin and believe the good news. Jesus says there's good news now. This kingdom of God is here partially now. There's good news about it now, and there's really good news about it when it's fully here. So if the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is here and the good news is here, where do we see it? I I think that answer is kind of simple. Look around the room. (laughs) You'll see it right here. You'll see it right here. Here's your first sermon note. The church is a foretaste of the kingdom. This building is not a foretaste. 
you are, we are, a foretaste of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, we're, we're a foretaste of that. The church is not a church building. We say it almost every Sunday. Where it's a people of faith, and they're a foretaste. Our worship, the way we're singing, the way we pray, the way we study the Bible together, the way that we have new life in Christ together, how we heal, how we pray, all that is a foretaste of not only the kingdom, it's a foretaste of the good news. So let's talk about, well, what is the good news? And to me, the good news and the gospel, they're the same thing, so I might use them interchangeably, go back and forth, but the good news and the gospel are the same thing. So what's the good news? Let me, let me first share well, what it's not. The, the gospel is not an institution, it's not a program, it's not a series of practical choices that makes me happy and gives me eternal life. The gospel is not something that, the good news is something that cannot be bought, which means I, I don't, I don't, you can't go to church on Sunday, check in for an hour and give a tithe and say that's the gospel and that's the sum total of my faith life. The gospel of good news is a person. Jesus of Nazareth who came to earth to give humanity hope. He came to, as he said, to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free. And he gave his life on a cross to set us free from our sin and give us eternal life. Jesus is God with us. And he's given us new life now and life eternal and he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit also we can be in this amazing, reconciled, loving relationship with him and God. That is the good news. This next sermon is kind of important to us, though. I, I think this is really important. We must not nearly, merely believe the gospel, but we must become it. We must not, as Christians, merely believe the good news of Jesus and the change. We have to actually become it. If you believe it, you will become it. If you're not becoming it, you got to question what you believe. The church is gospel in action. If mission is the moving of the love of God through Jesus to those who don't know him, if that's mission, the church is given that mission, then the gospel, the good news, the church is good news in action. It's so ingrained in our identity as a church that we simply don't believe the good news that we must become it. We have to become the good news to complete our mission. So what does a good news community of church people, what does a good news, a gospel community look like? And there's a theologian who I enjoy reading. His name's Leslie Newbigin. He's no longer with us. He was a missionary and a theologian who kind of boiled this down. This is what a gospel community looks like. So look at this with me. He would say a gospel community, a good news community, a, a church that's out there on mission is a community of first praise in a world of doubt and skepticism. He would say the first thing a gospel community is is they're praising in a world that's very doubtful and skeptical. Why are we praising? Because we know the good news. The second thing that he would say is that a gospel community is a community of truth in a pluralistic and relativistic society. 
he would say a gospel community is one that knows God's word and knows this is the important thing for our lives and knows that there's a world out there really struggling with what truth is and yet we have those answers and we can help so we hang by his word the third thing a gospel community is is selfless in a world that lives for itself a gospel community that says God's first people are second I'm third we're a selfless community and the next one looks a lot like the last one a gospel community is a community of mutual responsibility in a world of individualism now that looks a lot like the one before so let me explain the difference selfless means what I said God's first other people's second I love to serve and I put others first mutual responsibility says I can't do it without you Mutual responsibility says the church is all together, all of our gifts. It's really important that we're all, I need you as much as you need me to be in a world of individuals. I need your gifts. I need your skills. I need your abilities. We as a body all work together, mutually responsible to each other. Can you kind of see that difference between those two? Okay. Also, Nubijin would say gospel community is a, is a community of public faith in a world that privatizes all religious a gospel community, a good news community believes it's good news and we can't shut up about it. <laughs> and it's for everybody. It's not because, hey, here's my truth, just shove it down your throat. It's I believe the good news in Christ for you is life-saving. And I will never shut up in the public faith about that. I'll never stop talking about it because I want that for you too. And the last is the gospel community is a community of hope in a world of pessimism and despair about the future. Good news makes us live a lot differently. Good news is I wake up in the morning and I have nothing but hope, even before I turn on a news channel or get on my phone and look at a world that's without hope. That is a good news community. That's us. So when you look through that list, challenge yourself, what am I missing out of that? Have I been praising? Do I believe in the truth? Am I stuck on me first? Do I show up on Sunday and I really don't care about the rest of the people here? I just get my thing and go? Have I ever shared the love of Jesus to anybody? And no matter what happens today, I have all the hope in the world. I look at that list and I think there's two things I need to continue to work on. But that is a church that has become the good news. Does that make sense? Are you with me still? Okay. Really believe in the gospel is to become it. When it comes to good news, uh, I didn't get any trouble first service, so I'm just again second service. <laughs> uh, we brought up a little earlier that all these life groups, this is how we praise and come together as a body, how we grow how we become more Christ-like. There's 30-some groups that are going to be kicking off in about a week. And um, it's really rude to point one out, especially one that I'm teaching. I want to point one out that I'm teaching. So on Wednesday nights at 6.30, there's this one called Coffee Talk in Front Porches. And what this is is simply a class over the next so many weeks that's going to teach us how to talk about the good news in the public place, on people's front porch and in a coffee shop. 
Now, all these other ones are really good groups. I'm just saying if you struggle with the good news and how to share the good news, come, come hang out. We're going to walk this together as you're gifted. We're going to show how you're gifted to share the good news uniquely. And so come join us for that. Or go to anyways, but everybody please plug into one of these. And let's all, let's all that's mutually responsible. Let's all grow in together. Okay. Shameless plug, moving forward. If we're sold out to becoming the gospel and good news to our community, not only that, to our nation and our world, which is our mission, if we're sold out to being all those things, how do we know we're actually accomplishing our mission? Do we have to wait until Jesus comes back to know we actually did it? We don't. So here's a couple of ways. Look at your next sermon note. Our mission is accomplished now in reconciliation and diversity. How we know this is getting done now, underline now on your note. That's important because I'm going to come at this from two angles. We know now, today, that we are accomplishing our mission as a gospel community in reconciliation and diversity. So let's break those two down. The kingdom is here now, so is the good news. If we are becoming the gospel, it will change people's lives. If you do that list and live out that list because you believe the good news, it will change people's lives around you and people will be reconciled to God because they'll want what you have. Family members will be reconciled to God because they see it in you and the Holy Spirit will work through you. Reconciled means made right. People will be made right with not only God, which is most important, but because of that change, they'll be made right with each other. We'll get along better. So the first sign we look at a gospel community is that this house is full of reconciliation. And there's people in here that know what being reconciled with God's like, and there's people in this room right now who know what that journey's like and how hard it can be. There's people going through that right now, reconciling with God or reconciling with others. But we know that mission's getting accomplished when that happens. The second is diversity. Now, this is a buzzword that normally lights a few people up in the church. They're saying, well, what's diversity mean to you? Well, we, let me be really clear about what diversity means to us. And normally, we would categorize this four ways. Diversity in our, in our church, when, when, when the gospel's working and we all start looking different, the first is ethnic. That's one. That people from different backgrounds, nations, tongues can come here and they feel part of the family. Diversity is also socioeconomic, that in this body of gospel community, there is the poor, there is the rich, the affluent, and there's the middle class. We're all here. Diversity is also gender, male and female. We believe the Holy Spirit empowers each one of us uniquely to be a gospel community, and we empower you every way we can, male or female, the fourth, which I think is one of the biggest challenges of the church today in America, is intergenerational. That's the fourth area of diversity, that the older, seasoned population of our church is pouring into our younger population. Our younger population loves hearing the stories and the experience and learning from the two, and there is such a wedge in that in America right now. All four of those are diverse to us. And all week we work on all four of crossing those lines and moving in those ways. 
We cross boundaries and diverse people are brought into the family of God when we cross boundaries. We're encouraging you every day to cross those boundaries as the Holy Spirit leads you. The world will look at a church full of diverse yet unified people and they'll say, wow, how does that happen? And you got the good news to tell them how it happens. I think one of the best examples of my favorite churches in the New Testament the best example of a gospel community that hangs on these, these two things, reconciliation and diversity, is the church of Antioch. And so jump with me over here to Acts 13. Acts 13, so here's a description of this church. It's one of the first early churches that really grows. Uh, after Jesus' resurrection, the church in Jerusalem expands, but just this is up in Syria, a little further out, all of a sudden, uh, this church forms over the next so many years. And here's a description of their leadership of that church. It says, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. Now, you go through that list, you might just blast right by it. Christianity is beginning to spread, and this little church all of a sudden takes off, and it first describes their leaders. Barnabas, he's a Greek Jew from Cyprus, a little island just off the Middle Eastern coast of the Mediterranean. Simeon, in your translation, might say of Niger. Niger is a Latin word for black. What we know is he is ethnically, obviously black, assumed from Africa. Not the only one, though. The next one, Lucius, from Cyrene. Cyrene is not Cyprus. Cyrene is actually modern-day Libya, so he's from North Africa. Manayan, this is funny, Manayan is actually, he's from the upper class. Let's just put it that way. Anybody who hangs out with the king's family and grows up with the king's family, it grows up across the tracks from where we grew up, so to speak. So here's a guy from the upper caste who never hangs out with the other people amongst their leadership. And the last is Saul, and you may know him as Paul, the very man who was hell-bent on destroying the early Christian church early on and became their biggest champion. Diversity and reconciled. Reconciled to each other, more importantly, reconciled to God. Paul's story is amazing of his reconciliation with God. Look at this leadership team. Now, it's important because it's a unique model at this time. Now let's jump ahead to Acts 15. Let's see what this little church is doing. This little church shakes the foundation of the missional movement. So Acts 15, verse 1, when Paul, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea, Jerusalem area, arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. That's pretty powerful. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers, and they told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. So Paul and Barnabas were saying, hold on a second. These believers from Judea, from Jerusalem, from the hub, the Jewish hub of the early Christian church came up and said, they can't be part of our church unless they're circumcised. 
And Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 no. We're going to go way back to Abraham. God's design was to reach all nations through us, and you're putting rules on it. And so they went down, and you're going to see an amazing Jerusalem council that all of a sudden releases the church to go because those guys in Antioch took a stand. They wrestled too. They wrestled for a while too. Then they go down, and next thing you know, the church explodes. Antioch becomes the sending church of all Paul's missionary journeys, which just rakes the Mediterranean coast through all the way to Rome and plants all these churches. They are the sending church. And they change, start changing the world. One little church was a gospel community on mission. And there's one lesson we can learn from them. And when we hear that word Gentile, remember, the word Gentile, I should back up a little bit here, is anybody who's not Jewish. And so they were trying to hold the good news of Jesus Christ from everybody else. This little church becomes a gospel community, and there's one lesson that we can learn from them. It's your fourth sermon note. God's love is not an assimilating love. The church's main identity is mission to bring those who don't know God into the family of God. There's a big world out there of diverse people, and it is not our role to bring them in and make them like us. But ladies and gentlemen, the church has had a really bad history of this. We call it assimilation. Where you go and say, you're welcome if you'll just be like us. To give you an example of, of how we do not believe in that, as you know, Michelle and Nicole Haup stood up here and we launched them, and they just landed in Uganda with the Jesus Film Project. They are recording the Gospel of Luke in a Jesus Film for a tribe in Uganda, a group of people, an ethnic a group of people. And what they're saying by going there is that they're saying, we're going to give you the good news in your own language so you understand. They didn't say, if you just learn English, we have a Bible for you. They're going to meet them right where they're at in their own cultural context, in their own form of worship, in their own language of God's word. That's not assimilation. That's the beauty of diversity. And our church is part of that. God's love, the goal of it, is not to make everyone like us. John Frank, he's another theologian pastor, he says, the love of God does not seek to make that which is different the same. There's beauty in diversity. And he goes on to say, while Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together are one God, their unity is not an outgrowth of the sameness. Rather, they are one in the very midst of their difference. What he's saying is that, let's give you the Trinity. They're all different, but they're unified in one God. But thank God they're different. And that diversity is huge for us. God's love doesn't say like we saw back there in Acts. It says, hey, become like us and we'll let you join the church. There's beauty in diversity. And that's the body of Christ. So mission accomplished now. How does mission, <laughs> that was a long talk, right? How does mission accomplished now look? It looks like reconciliation and diversity. When you look around this room, it was even more obvious in first service but you look around us and you're looking at reconciled and diverse people. We're off to a good start. Between our two services this morning, let me give you a summary of who's been in this room. There was poor and rich, affluent and very poor in this room. 
There was male and female. That one's kind of easy, right? That's, that's a one. Okay. There was boomer and Gen Zer. There was Nigerian, Asian, Indian, Russian, Kansan, Tennessean, New Yorker, Californian, Republican, and Democrat. They were all in this room worshiping the same. And it's the sign of a gospel community we call the church. We're doing good. We got a lot more room to do better. And how do we do that? Don't be afraid to cross cultural lines. The good news is amazing when people look at this church and say, that is a sign of the gospel. The good news, because we're all here united as one. So then, that's what mission looks like now as accomplished. What does it look like at the end? We know when Jesus comes back, everything changes. So what does a mission accomplished look like at the end game? So here's your fifth sermon note. Our mission is accomplished in the future, underlying future, in glorification. The evidence of mission is accomplished is glorifying God through Christ. When it's all said and done and Jesus comes back and evil is finally conquered once and for all and there's no sin, no suffering, no pain, no crying, heaven fully on earth, what does that look like? Revelation 7 verse 9, our key verse today. And after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language. We've used this verse here often. Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, who's Jesus. They were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne too and, all, and around the elders and the four living beings and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God and they sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever, amen. One big reconciled diverse group, one big family. That's where we're heading. We glorify God now when you see those changes. We glorify Him like that one day when we all come together as one big family. But I think what kind of blows me away is we make God famous. That's how we glorify. We make Him known. We make people... It's, it's so attractive. People are drawn when they just look at our church and ultimately we're going to glorify him like that forever. Heaven is so unimaginable when it's fully here. But the love of God invites his family into that glory. This blows me away. So let me finish here with Colossians 3.1 and show you the scripture here that says, and, and I want us to actually read it together. This is a great way to finish up, and I want us to read this together. And those online, I, I'd just love it if you shout this in your living rooms. It's pretty cool. So let's read this together. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Shout that one out. Heaven. That's where we're setting our sights. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of 
heaven. Keep your eyes and thoughts there, not the things of earth. For you have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, we'll share. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty amazing. So I want to go back to that video we watched at the start. Captain America calls all the Avengers to assemble for the last battle. I want you to look at our last sermon note together. Church, it's time to assemble. It's time to assemble. We assemble with Jesus for this cosmic battle that's going on today and the cosmic battle we see in the book of Revelation when he, with just his word, vanquishes all evil. But I want to tell you, we don't assemble on the battlefield first. We're going to go there in just a few minutes. <laughs> we assemble at the table of the Lord's Supper first. And this is really important. At this table, in the Lord's Supper that we share together, Jesus said, do this, do this. At this table, we give thanks to God for the good news, the gospel. We start with thanks and praise. The good news is good news, amen? So we give thanks here. We also remember Jesus' death on the cross, the price he paid, and remembered that the war is already won. He's victor. There's still some battles to fight. There's still some cosmic battles to fight, but the war's over. He's already declared victor. And the third thing we remember is that we offer ourselves at this table as a sacrifice, more like an altar, that we go out and join Jesus in making one big reconciled and diverse family of God to join him in his mission. During the Lord's Supper or, or communion, a couple instructions. First, you're all welcome. If you're a visitor here and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, please, we're one family of God. We ask as a start this worship song that's starting in the front row, there's a table here and there's a table here. Our servers, if you would come forward, and there's a table upstairs. At home, I hope you can join us and have bread and juice there too. I should have gave you a little heads up on that, but I apologize. So right when, the first, right when we go into worship together, I want you to reflect, but I want the first rows to start coming. I want you to take the bread and take the juice and go sit back down. Don't take it yet because it's so important we take it together. That's key. So go sit down and pay attention to how we're worshiping. Clear your hearts and your minds for this moment together. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, and you're drawn to the table, I'd say come. And then fill out your Connect card and let's talk about that. Let's talk about a change in your life where you can be reconciled to Him and live with no fear about eternity. So let's all worship together at the Lord's table. Amen? Amen. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide, but from the far side of the chasm, 
you held me in your side so you made a way across the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross you paid the debt i owe broke my chains freed my soul for the first time i had hope thank you jesus for the blood applied thank you jesus it has washed me white thank you jesus you have saved my life you brought me from the darkness into glorious light you took my place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death has no sting and life has no end for i have been transformed by the blood of the lamb thank you jesus for the blood of life thank you jesus it has
very first sermon notes uh, said that the church is a foretaste of the kingdom. This bread and this cup is a foretaste of the marriage supper in heaven with the Lamb of God. This is a foretaste of one day at the marriage feast with Jesus when heaven and earth and the mission is fully complete. On a night Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it and he broke into pieces and he gave it to his closest friends. He said, this is my body which is given for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, let's take this bread together, thanking him for the sacrifice of his life so we could have new life now and new life in eternity. In the same way, Jesus took a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup, this cup is a new covenant, a new agreement between God and his people. An agreement, Jesus says, confirmed by my blood, which is what it symbolizes. He said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink from it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. This cup and, and juice symbolizes Jesus' blood poured out for us for forgiveness. We're forgiven. We're made new. Ladies and gentlemen, that's good news. Amen? Amen. Let's drink from this cup and join Jesus as we, as we become the gospel with him. Heavenly Father, we... And Jesus, we praise you. We thank you for your life, Jesus, and the impact it's made on our life. Well, let us now be the gospel community you've called us to be. And all God's people said, amen.